Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 212 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Instinctive and Intelligent, an interview with Tiara Smith. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Now, we named this episode Instinctive and Intelligent because this is a young woman who actually got Lyme disease through intimate contact with her wife. And even though she was being told that she couldn't get Lyme disease through intimate contact, her gut was telling her that she could. So she took some steps to try to prophylactically protect herself from the disease. Unfortunately, the prophylactic steps did not prevent her from getting the disease. And when she was told that she didn't have Lyme disease, she followed her gut and went forward with treating herself so that she could overcome a disease that she did in fact contract. Rich, when Tierra failed to get proper recognition and treatment from the medical professionals in her life, she decided to go the natural route and treat herself. She first went to the Restore Kit by Dr. Bill Rawls, and then added on top of that was a ton of other herbal treatments and natural treatments. And today, she's doing much better and has her life back. So now, one of the patterns that we've identified in this podcast is that people who follow their gut and follow the emotional tools that God has given them on their healing journey will generally have a better outcome. And Tiara did just that. Matt, without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce Tiara Smith to the Tick Bootcamp community. Hello, Tiara Smith, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We, we are really excited to finally have you on the podcast. You gave us a brilliant Lyme hack during our hackathon during Lyme Disease Awareness Month. And we wanted to explore your full journey in a full length podcast. And that's why we're having you on today. So Tiara, let's start with where you live. Yep. So I live in Kansas. I am currently transitioning to move into Colorado. So I'm very excited right. about that. Well, congratulations, and I'm glad Dorothy is leaving Kansas. So tell us about uh, tell us tell us about uh, what you do. Yep. Uh, so I work um, in marketing currently in the financial industry. Um, so I help small businesses with small business small business uh, financial products um, to help them achieve um, financial success. Okay. And um, so, how long have you been living in Kansas? Oh my gosh. Uh, since third grade. So forever. <laughs> so this is the first time I am moving out of Kansas. So, so talk to us about what it was like to grow up in Kansas. Um, you know, like we were talking about earlier, lots of uh, references to Dorothy and, uh, you know, assumptions of not having electricity and, uh, all kinds of fun stuff, but no, um, in all seriousness, um, there, it depends on where you're at in Kansas, but where I'm at, you know, I've been more so in the suburbs. Um, so there's some stuff to do and you're maybe 30 minutes, you know, shy of, um, some of the fun stuff to do downtown, but there's not, there's not a crazy amount of stuff to do. So I'm, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to being out in the mountains and, you know, being free. <laughs> so, I am going to torture the reference a little bit. So I did fully expect the Tin Man would be sitting next to you and Toto would be in a basket next to you. So I'm sorry, Tiara, I had to do it. Oh, I dropped Toto off at daycare, actually. So, <laughs> so uh, Tiara, talk to us about what your educational system was like uh, growing up in Kansas. Yeah, um, it was great, honestly. So I, like I said, I grew up in the suburbs of Kansas, um, more specifically in the Overland Park area. Um, I was very, very fortunate. Um, 
to have such a great school system. Um, I was in a college preparatory program in high school for a couple of years prior to going to college. So I was very, very thankful for that um, and very, very lucky to have um, something like that at my disposal. Um, it was one of the top school districts in the area. So I, I honestly, um, am very, very proud of the fact that I, that I came from there and, um, really set the foundation for where I'm at now. And where'd you go to college and what was your major? Yep. I went to Kansas state university, uh, and, um, I was a marketing major. Now, ironically, Kansas State University has one of the best curriculums for Lyme disease. I came across that when I was doing uh, my research on Lyme, and, and I'm wondering uh, whether or not that irony is something that you're aware of. I was not aware of that, honestly. Um, that's great news. I know that they had been doing some pretty great research. Like I know they're known for, especially their veterinary um, uh veterinary medicine, but I did not know that they had done so much research there. So that's definitely something interesting to dig into. So let's talk about, um, about what you were working toward. You said you were in a college preparatory program during, uh, during your um, elementary and high school education. Um, what was it that you were dreaming, dreaming about doing when you were a young person in Kansas? <laughs> So fun fact, I started out um, in college as a biochemistry major. So with that college prep program, I intended fully to become a doctor. And the funniest part is I'm in business and my sister is now in med school. So we switched. Uh, but yeah, my intention honestly was to become a doctor. I had always been very passionate about health. I still am. Um, and I'd always been very passionate about helping people. And um you know, all you needed was a couple of um, college chemistry classes to say, no, no, thank you. <laughs> so I learned um, later on that I was just a lot more social of a person and I needed to be out of the lab and, and, and really uh, communicating with other people, um, wanted to be creative. And so that's how I ended up in the field of marketing. Well, Tiara, um, one of the things that we know about you from our past contact with you is you're very fit. So talk to us about athletics and fitness and what role that played in your life, going all the way back to your early childhood. Yeah. Um, so when I was younger, I'm going to be honest and say I was not a hiker. I was not a workout type of person. I didn't know anything about that um, at all. Um, I wasn't interested in it. Um, I had always been extremely tiny my entire life and didn't take interest in it. And then over time, um, I just started to kind of realize like my power um, in college um, when I started lifting weights for the first time and educating myself on the different muscle groups and just kind of took off from there. So um, did that. Um, of course, you know, you're in college and you, you gain a little weight because you're fat, you're, you're eating and doing whatever, you know, college kids do. And so over time, um, I was like, I've got to change this. So I started to get healthy, fell off for a little bit, and then ended up a couple of years after college getting back into it. Started with like Weight Watchers. I still wasn't really working out as much. And then um, ended up working with um, a bodybuilding and fitness coach um, and got really, really heavily into that. So did that for a little while. Um, and kind of, you know, as it relates to the competition part of things, I kind of decided, you know, from a mental health standpoint, probably not best for me. So I got in the shape for it. Um, and then just decided to, I probably should stop and wanted to stay fit just for myself. Um, and then since then just kind of stayed, um, in the gym just for my own feelings of, I call it iron therapy. <laughs> so, you know, just, lifting for your own, um, kind of, uh, mental benefit, if you will, as well as physical benefits. So, 
um, yeah, fitness has kind of always been um, a small part of my life in the beginning and slowly grew as I started to understand its contribution to mental health, of course, physical health, um, and just that feeling of accomplishment. Well, Tara, um, as someone who's going through the college preparatory phase of her life uh, with an interest in concentrating on um, health and medicine, um, I'm wondering if any of the courses you took, either science or health courses, um, gave you any understanding of uh, how to protect yourself from ticks and tick diseases? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. I had never heard. Sure. When you, you know, when you're young and you're girl scouting and everything, you know, people tell you, make sure, you know, you spray or make sure, you, you know, if you have a tick, like pick it off. But outside of that, nobody's ever told me anything about it. And even as it relates to getting into, um, you know, health um, and, and medicine in the beginning of college, nobody has ever mentioned it. Um, and it's honestly, knowing what I know now, extremely astonishing <laughs> because of how common um, Lyme disease is. And I just wasn't aware. So I just want to walk that back a little bit. You, you implied that you were told, at least during scouting, that, um, that you should be putting on tick spray or you should be putting on bug spray and that, that, that you were made generally aware of ticks and the need to remove them. Give us some more detail on what you were taught, at least in scouting or in other places about bug spray and, and how you should use bug spray to protect yourself. And talk to us about ticks and what you were told about removing ticks. Yeah. Um, so as it relates to ticks, the only thing I was really told was just to remove them. Wasn't told anything about testing a tick. Wasn't told anything about them. I was told that they were bad, but I wasn't, I've heard Lyme disease, but I didn't think, okay, you know, nobody thinks that's going to happen to me if you get bit by a tick. And luckily I, I hadn't, but, um, there really wasn't much other texture added to that, unfortunately. And as it relates to the, um, uh, the bug sprays, I, I think that was more so about, you know, pests and, you know, pesky, pesky bugs and you don't want to get bit. I really don't think it was grounded in that, you know, caution um, for that, for, for um, that type of transmission to occur. Okay. Now we know a little bit about your, uh, about your background and the illness that you had suffered. And we know that you were generally aware of Lyme disease because you're in an intimate relationship with someone who had Lyme before you had gotten Lyme. But let's, let's, let's use that as a line of demarcation. Before you got into the relationship with someone who had Lyme disease, what, if anything, did you know about Lyme other than that it was a disease and it was something you didn't want? Um, I knew nothing, nothing at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, I knew nothing. Um, nobody had ever told me anything about it. Um, I knew absolutely nothing about how destructive it was. I knew nothing about how it was transmitted. I knew nothing, nothing. You even, before you, before you entered the intimate relationship with, uh, with the person with Lyme disease, do you even know anyone who had a Lyme disease diagnosis? Absolutely not. I knew no one. Okay. So now let's talk about, uh, let's talk about you entering into an intimate relationship with someone who had Lyme disease and uh, how did you find out about um, her having Lyme disease and what did that mean to you initially? 
Yeah. Um, so at the time we met, she was currently um, in treatment. I think she had been in treatment maybe for eight months or so um, on antibiotics as well as a plethora of other things. And so um, when we first met, she did mention to me, hey, I just want to let you know, like I'm in treatment for for Lyme disease, you know, and I may um, I'm not sure when I, I genuinely think that she thought it was a lot shorter of a timeline. I don't know if that precedent was set with her, um, with those around her as far as how how long to expect the journey to be. Um, so, so the way it was presented to me, you know, being a person who I, I didn't know anything, I was like, okay, like whatever you need, we'll get through it. Um, I think of you as you, as a person, I don't think of you as anyone who is sick or anything like that. I want to be with you and that's, that's it. So, um, yeah, I, um, I knew nothing about it, but when she told me, I was like, okay, we'll get through this together. And that's, that's, that's all I thought. Okay, so let's pause there for a second. When you were told that uh, that your partner had Lyme disease, uh, and I'm assuming this is before you got married, you were you you understood that she had Lyme disease. Um, did you have any fear that your partner's Lyme disease could somehow affect your health? Uh, not at all. Um, previously, and from what she had told me as well, it's not something that I could get or catch, if you will. Um, so in my mind, it was just how do we tackle this together so that she can feel as um, healthy as possible. Um, it was never like, there was never a fear there. Um, so I got, I didn't fear it at all. I never, I never thought about it. I knew that there was, there's a lot of things that come along with it, but I knew that we would figure it out. So I didn't really have a fear. Okay. So now you, now, I want to talk about fear in two different ways. The first thing is you didn't have any fear because you didn't receive any information that led you to believe you should have fear, correct? Correct. Now, now talk to me about your gut. Was your gut or your, you, you know, were you emotionally feeling or receiving any signals that suggested to you that you should have something to be concerned about despite the information that you were getting cognitively? Um, yes. So right around, maybe either right before we got married or right when we got married, um, I started to develop ringing in my ears and tremors. And I started to think, wait a minute, what's wrong with me? Do I have a vitamin deficiency? Do I, I was going through the ringer, looking up online, trying to figure out why I was experiencing things. And I was trying to rationalize why it was everything, but. Okay. Um, but I want you to pause there for a second here. I'm asking you a different question. And I, sure. and I do want to get into this piece of your journey, but when you were first introduced to the concept of your partner having Lyme disease, did your gut tell you that despite the information you were receiving that you couldn't get sick from Lyme disease, that perhaps you could get sick from Lyme disease? That's the question I'm asking you. Um, no, I genuinely did not think um, that it would happen to me. Okay. I did not think about I did not think that that's a possibility. But I'm not even and asking I, about what you're thinking, right? Because I think we talk ourselves out of being in tune with the information that we're getting from our, our defense system, right? I'm asking you not whether you thought or allowed yourself to think. I'm asking you, were you getting any feelings that led you to believe that perhaps you were unsafe? Uh, at a certain point, yes. Okay. And I, yeah, I was. 
Now, were you getting those feelings before you started to get symptoms or after you started to get symptoms? <laughs> um, a little bit before I started to, to think about it. Um, and every time I kind of shrugged it off. And then once I started to have symptoms, I tried to find a reason why some other reason. <laughs> so. I said, now the, the folks in our community know that you're really bright because you, you were kind enough to do a, a Lyme hackathon video for us. And it was brilliant, right? So we know how smart you are uh, and we know how educated you are. Now, when your gut was starting to tell you that perhaps you had some danger, did that trigger you to do any research about Lyme disease specifically designed not to learn about how to help your partner to get through this, but how to protect yourself from getting this? Yes. So once I started to do some of that research, I started, um, so specifically I was reading into Steven Buhner and his practices and I started taking astrologus. I started trying to do some preventative stuff, um, really trying to uh, cut out some things in my diet in the event, like just to basically make it so my body could never be a home for that. All right. So um, you, you were taking prophylactic steps. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Just in case. Okay. So, uh, so you read, you read Stephen Buhner's book. You started right. taking, um, and I know people pronounce this, this herb differently, either astragalus or astragalus. And, <laughs> and astragalus is designed to enhance our immune system so that we are, we are better equipped to fight off the Lyme bacteria, correct? Correct. And you were also uber fit at the time, right? I mean, you're, 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 you're a fitness gal, right? And you are, you are, you are, um, if you weren't a bodybuilder at that time, you were certainly very fit because you've continued to work out. And were you also engaging in other types of healthy living activities? Like were, was your diet clean? Were you staying away from drugs and alcohol? Were you sleeping? Tell, talk to us about that. So um, it's good that you asked that because I, 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 I look back at that time period and realize that's around the time that I started to get some symptoms, my healthy behaviors were, had kind of changed. So, um, I was under immense amounts of stress at that time. Um, so my immune system was, <laughs> I was uh, so very, very stressed. I wasn't sleeping, um, very much at all. Um, yeah, it was, it was a difficult time and I don't think my immune system stood a chance at that point. Okay, so let's talk about the stresses, right? So now your 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 partner um, has has Lyme disease, right? And your partner is going on this journey, and she's in a lot of pain, and she's suffering a great deal, right? Um, and um, what impact did that have on your stress environment or your stress world? And how do you think that may have served as immune disrupting, and therefore making you more vulnerable to Lyme disease? Yeah. Um, so at the time, um, I just, at the time I really wanted her to get better and I knew, um, that she had been on antibiotics for quite some time and was telling me how painful it was and all these things. And so I was trying to find solutions, um, during that time, other solutions that would be less painful that would still be potent. Um, so, that's part of why I wasn't sleeping. I was staying up. I was working my full-time job. And then I was staying up and, and searching everything from Buner's protocol to 
be venom therapy to like just a variety of things, just trying to a raw vegan diet, just trying to help her feel better. And so oftentimes I lost sleep and of course there's financial stressors. So, um, she wasn't able to work. Um, at the time I was working full time. I was paying all of the bills and everything. So of course there's financial stressors. Um, and, uh, you know, as you can imagine, there's some, some strain. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a lot um, going on at once. My immune system was certainly impacted and it just, uh, it couldn't handle it. So talk to us about how your symptoms began to develop and how long into the intimate relationship was it before you started to exhibit symptoms? Um, so I would say a couple of months after we got married, I started to develop symptoms and I didn't realize that I was developing symptoms. I just thought my body was doing small, weird things. Um, and then they got progressively worse. So a couple of months into being married is when I noticed. Now, Tiara, do you ever recall having been bitten by a tick prior to the time when your symptoms began to present? Nope, not at all. I didn't have any rash. I didn't have um, any bites anywhere. There was nothing um, atypical um, on my body. Okay. So now you were doing a great deal of research as a, first as a partner and then as a spouse to try to help your spouse to get through the challenges she was facing and you were learning about Lyme disease, right? Now, when you were doing this research, did you come across any research that suggested that Lyme disease could be sexually transmitted? Uh, so the research that's out there is far and few, but um, as far as formal research, fortunate because <laughs> you got so many, oh, maybe it's possible because the Cypriote no syphilis, it's a cypriote. Um, and then you have other people around the camp of absolutely not. So, or people saying absolutely yes. Um, and during that time, you know, I had been on many different uh, Lyme groups just that I had been on when, when supporting her. Um, and I saw a lot of anecdotal evidence, people saying that they were getting it from their spouses. Um, people whose spouses had gotten it, um, you know, let's say got bit by a tick in an area somewhere and they were not with them. So they weren't, you know, bit with them. Um, there are a lot of people even to this day um, that I see that have said um, they have, have gotten it through that method of transmission. And it just blows my mind um, that there's so little research um, out there. And so contradictory of um, information, even from different Lyme literate doctors, so Tara, so when you first start exhibiting these symptoms, you know, just to set a context, right? You had done some research which suggested that it probably was not sexually transmitted or transmittable. Your gut was telling you that perhaps it was. So you were taking astragalus and you were, you were trying to at least take some prophylactic steps to protect yourself. And you start to have these symptoms and what are you doing? Are you talking yourself out of believing they were Lyme symptoms or are, and, and, or are you going to try to get early treatment or early intervention? Yeah. Um, so when that happened, I, <laughs> I first tried to talk myself out of it and say, but that's not what it was and it couldn't possibly be. And over time, the symptoms started to get worse muscle spasms. I have videos of my face my lips, you know, um, spasming, my muscles doing crazy spasms on my legs. And it got to the point where I couldn't ignore it anymore. I couldn't, um, I couldn't pretend. 
So I went to my primary care um, and had, I, I told her my suspicions, had a test done. Um, and that's where this all started. Um, and I realized that I wasn't, um, it wasn't anxiety. I wasn't crazy, as you call it, or as, as some doctors may, made it seem. So how long after you first started exhibiting the symptoms uh, was it before you were tested? Meaning what was that window of time between first symptoms and test where you were diagnosed with Lyme disease? Um, I was, let's see. You're, so repeat that again. I'm sorry. What, what was the window of time? Sorry. No, I understand. What was the window of time between when you first started your Lyme disease symptoms and when you were finally uh, tested and oh, diagnosed with Lyme disease? Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so it had been at least like three or four months. And when you say diagnosed, so, and I wrote this, but, um, I had, it's a very weird, uh, tricky, um, thing. So when I had my first test done, I was positive for one band and I was told you were positive for one band, but you know, that doesn't mean you're CDC positive. So, you know, you're good to go. And I'm like, Oh, Okay. Um, why is it positive? And I didn't get an answer. Right. So, um, they moved me on to a neurologist, um, and they try to look for things like any type of nerve because I was having tremors. I was having spasms. I was, so they were like, what can we do? Can we look into things like Parkinson's or MS or what, what, what do we need to look into? So I saw a neurologist and then I went to, and it got an MRI and that came back all fine. So they said, you're fine. Nothing's wrong with you. Right. Um, and then I went and did a test myself. Um, with DNA connections and came back for two strains of Borella. Uh, and then I was like, okay. And, you know, I've got my PCP in the background saying, it could just be your anxiety. You're in a really stressful situation, you know, and telling me, maybe you just need to go to therapy, you know, because I was waking up every single day with my heart racing at that point. Um, and I couldn't control it. And I didn't know why. So um, after that, I, I was like, can you just run another test again? Like, I just, I just need to know what's going on. Like, I, I know it came back positive, but I need maybe more time has passed. Maybe we caught it too early or I'm sorry. Maybe I came in too early. Let's, let's try again. And I still came back positive for one band and I'm like, okay. And she said, you know, and I'm not going to, it's probably not verbatim, but basically what she basically said was, um, you know, I know you're exhibiting symptoms, but with you only having one band positive, I don't know if I feel right giving you antibiotics. And so I'm like, okay, but at the same time, seeing, you know, what I had seen from my ex-spouse, um, going through what she went through, I knew antibiotics wasn't the route that I wanted to take anyway. I just needed someone to call a spade, a spade. <laughs> and for me to know, okay, we're doing this. This is, you need to start taking care of your body in this way to combat what's going on. So, um, yeah, it was a journey. Um, and they tried to send me to infectious disease. And after doing a lot of reading and hearing from a lot of people, they were like, it's, it's probably not going to help you. And you already have the answers that you need. So, um, I kind of went on my, my self-treatment journey and I'm so glad I did when I did. Um, because at that point, um, even seated, my legs were extremely weak, <laughs> um, and tired, uh, barely doing anything. My heart rate was extremely elevated. I was waking up every morning with a racing heart. Um, my tremors were crazy. Um, you know, spasms all over the place. I was getting them, you know, in my arm at one moment, in my leg the other moment, and it was all day. It was so I knew I had to do something, and I felt like my body was attacking me. 
Okay, so let's okay. pause there for a second because Matt's going to take you on, on the first the self-treatment and ultimately the, the medical treatment during the year going on. But I, I have a lot of questions that I still want to ask you up to this point. So, yeah. So um, your gut was telling you that you probably needed to protect yourself. You start taking the astragalus. You then start mm -hmm. to have your symptoms. You yep. start to test, which is beginning to show you that you do have it, right? You have a band from the, from the initial test you took. You take the DNA connections test and you have more bands, right? So you're, you're starting to see that, 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 the, that the testing is showing that, uh, that you, you have, have had come in contact with Lyme disease. Were you thinking at that time that, um, that you received the, um, the contact with, with the bacteria through your intimate contact with your spouse? Or did you think it was possible that you were bitten by a tick? Um, I don't think it was possible by, that I was bit by a tick only because at that time, um, I hadn't been hiking in a really, really long time. I hadn't ever seen any, any symptoms or any, you know, no fever, no rash, no, no, um, bite sites. No, I hadn't seen any of those kind of common characteristics, even if there weren't a rash, I hadn't seen a bite. So I really didn't think so. My brain automatically, automatically went to that because my gut previously had told me, wait a minute, something's not right. Um, so yeah, my gut told me that it was probably from intimate contact, unfortunately. Okay. Now, do you believe there was, there's no way that you could have been bitten by a tick at any time in your life prior to that in your symptoms then just began to exhibit because of the stresses in your life? Uh, correct. I, I genuinely don't think that, um, <clears throat> and I had gone through stressful times previously in my life, um, never exhibited any symptoms at all. So, um, yeah, this is the first time ever in my life, um, that I had started to have such harsh symptoms happen to me. Now let's talk about how we can, we can rule out all of these other potential options, right? Because it's very common. And there's a lot of research that shows that, um, many people who have Lyme disease, who are married to another person or have an intimate relationship with another person have Lyme disease. But that has been explained away by, you know, doctors, you know, all over the Lyme community, including Dr. Brian Fallon in his book. And he's one of the, one of the stars of the community. And his mm -hmm. argument is that the reason so many spouses have Lyme disease is because they're both living in a tick endemic community. And because they're both living in a tick endemic community it is very likely that they're both coming in contact with, with infected ticks, that it's not the intimate contact, despite um, the research showing that uh, the spirochetes are in vaginal secretions and in sperm, um, that it's actually the physical presence in a tick endemic community that's causing spouses to both be sick, not the intimate contact. What's your reaction to that? Um, it's a little frustrating. So I will tell you, given that this um, is how it's been suspected that I, um, I was transmitted to me, um, it, it's a pretty invalidating thing, not being able to find much that tells you that this is what happened to you, because I don't have a doubt in my mind that this is what happened to me. Um, it's frustrating to say the least. I can just leave it. <laughs> yeah. So, so Lyme disease itself is very frustrating for a number of different reasons, including not having a real definition for this disease. Is it, is it an infection from one bacteria? Is it an infection from 
from, uh, you know, from multi-germs? Is it, uh, you know, is it something altogether different? Um, uh, and now we have this additional level of invalidation, which is you can't get it the way you believe you got it, right? So talk to us about how that impact impacted you emotionally, at least at the beginning. Oh my gosh, it was, <laughs> as you saw with, with some of the stuff, that the negative stuff that came in, um, it was really, really hard behind the scenes, um, hearing that be invalidated, um, because for someone who's going through it, it is, um, it is extremely real. So to see that not even being a reason that's validated, I mean, first of all, in, in the Lyme community, so many people are invalidated in general, regardless of method of transmission. So to pass that on and to invalidate another person, um, and you know, it, it's really shocking too, when you think about, I think about my, my, um, my Lyme tip and just believing yourself, trusting your intuition. Um, I can't tell you how many people in my life, um, family, um, who have invalidated, um, what I have gone through because I just don't understand. And I have to have that frame, um, of mind of realizing that they, they genuinely do not understand um, especially this this method, right? When people talk about um, sexual transmission of anything, this is not something that's ever talked about um, ever. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's it it's frustrating to feel that invalidated. Um, and hopefully, with time, research catch up. Um, but th there's it sounds like there's a long way to go. Not just in this type of transmission, but also just in Lyme in general. There's a long way to go. So Tiara, did the invalidating nature of the method of uh, transmission cause you to delay in either seeking treatment from doctors or delay in any self-treatment that you pursued? 100% because I was in denial. <laughs> um, I didn't, I was convinced um, by others around me that it wasn't real. Therefore, you know, I, other people saying, Oh, well, I, I have twitches all the time. So that can't be what happened to you. That's not real. Nobody's talked about that. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten that or, you know, you're just anxious and, and you're just, you know, coming down from being anxious. So um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Okay. Um, so, so let's talk about where you were when your symptoms were developing and you started to get sick, right? We know, we know that, we know that grief is a part of a response to illness. And we know that the grief cycle begins with denial, right? So when we're in that state of denial ourselves emotionally, and then we have all this invalidation around us, it causes us to get stuck in, at the denial phase and it paralyzes us from moving first through the grief cycle and ultimately to a place where we're going to begin treating. Yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm upsetting you. And, and we really appreciate you sharing this journey uh, with, with our community. Yeah. Um, there's a grief cycle. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> I had to, Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, we really appreciate you being so vulnerable with us and with, you know, with our, uh, with our listeners. Um, so I had to accept it 
um, that had happened to me. And it took a long time because I've always been a very healthy person. Um, and, you know, I could have, I would have never thought that this would have happened to me. Um, so it took me a very long time to accept that it did. Um, <clears throat> it, it took me a very long time. And I, I have had, I'm not going to pretend like I don't um, <clears throat> go in and out of sometimes feeling like, wow, like this really happened to me. This is something that doesn't, it's not where you can take NyQuil and it goes away. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I have, I have had quite a bit of different stages of <clears throat> everything from grief to anger, to sadness, a little bit of regret, um, a lot of bit of regret actually, but, um, yeah, I, uh, I went through a huge cycle and I still every now and then find myself um, <clears throat> in one of those stages. Um, but I try to arrive back at the being thankful for where I'm at with um, my health and how I'm so much more able than I was in the beginning when everything was crazy and my symptoms were coming out of nowhere and I didn't know what to do. So, um, but yeah, I'd be lying if I, if I said that I didn't sometimes go through that not so, so fun. So Tiara, let's talk about um, your health and and the privilege of having the health that you had before you got sick and how taking that for granted made the grief cycle more painful for you and made the, uh, the denial phase a longer and more um, paralyzing phase in, uh, in the grief cycle. Yeah. Um... <clears throat> can you can you say that again i'm sorry i'm a little talk to some talk you said you were always healthy before this had happened okay yeah I, i'd so like you to talk I, to us about how how the privilege of your prior healthy life and taking that for granted made the grief cycle more painful and may have played a role in causing you to be stuck at the denial phase and therefore paralyzing you from taking action. Yeah, um, I have been healthy all of my life. I had never experienced any type of plight as it relates to health. And I was certainly in denial because I hadn't experienced it. And once I started to develop symptoms um, before calling a spade a spade, so to speak, I just remember, and I've written about it, but I just remember... Um, certain things for granted. So, um, my ceiling fan, the sound of my ceiling fan without hearing any tinnitus, <laughs> um, or, uh, even now there are times, so I appreciate things like the sunrise. I always have, but I appreciate them so much more. Um, they're a little different now. I've got floaters in my vision, right? So it looks a little different. Um, but whenever there's less of them, I appreciate it. So it, it's, I did not realize how much of a privilege I had before to look at a sunrise without floaters, to hear things without tinnitus, to not have to take 24 pills. To, you know, I didn't realize how much of a privilege I had to not have to think about what I'm eating uh, and its contribution to my health, which I should have anyway. But you know, I did not have to think about those things. And someday I wish I didn't have to. Um, any us. Um, but I'm here now and, uh, it has honestly made health become my top priority every single day. 
So Tiara, you had mentioned earlier that it sounded like you were being a little hard on yourself for taking a little bit longer to get to the point where you knew you had to treat Lyme disease. But in listening to you and Rich talk, your doctors were telling you you didn't have Lyme disease. Your doctors were telling you you only had one band and that was all in your head and it was your stress and you were going through a very difficult marriage at the time. So the fact that you went on, despite medical professionals telling you you weren't sick and then treated anyway and self-diagnosed and got better, I think is a really powerful statement to your strength. And I just don't, I, I want you to reflect back on that and not be so hard on yourself because you are the reason you are feeling better today, not doctors. You're right. Yeah, I am. Um... <laughs> whenever I have a moment where I feel kind of, um, you know, whatever that's any of that, you know, side to stage or whatever, I remind myself saying like, you healed you. I may not be 100% in remission, but you did what you needed to do. And you advised yourself, you read, you, you got the things that you needed to, you avoided the things that you were supposed to, you got yourself to this point where there was a point where I wasn't even able to just bend over, stretch and touch my toes, um, without shaking, you know, my legs shaking like crazy. Um, and so the fact that I'm able to do that, I'm able to, you know, lift weights doesn't mean I don't get a little bit shaky, you know, still, but I'm, I'm mostly okay. Like with my herbs and whatnot, I'm probably at 90% when I'm on them. So my point is I have moments like that where yes, I, I maybe don't give myself enough credit to your point. Um, but I do have moments every now and then where I'm like, I, I did that. I didn't have somebody do it for me. I didn't have somebody tell me what to do. I did that and I didn't pay someone to do it. I did that. So I'm, I'm, I couldn't even tell you how thankful I am to have had, um, access to the knowledge that I did to be able to do that because there's so many other people who are in a completely different camp and are in crazy amounts of debt and have been treating for 10 years. And I, my heart goes out to them because, oh God, I couldn't even imagine. So Tiara, you were in a place where doctors wouldn't even prescribe you antibiotics when you realized I have Lyme and you think it was at the early stages. And then to your point, you didn't have to go and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to put yourself in debt. You found a way to properly treat using affordable natural medicine. So talk to us about how you found the herbs and the protocols that you started to self treat with because doctors wouldn't even recognize that you were sick and then what it was like when you first started taking these treatments. Yeah. So, um, so my previous spouse who, um, had had Lyme, um, during that time, I just, I really wanted her to get better. And so I took that time to really do some research. So I was up at night, you know, reading, um, different herbal protocols, reading about certain diets, reading about how people had eradicated it themselves when the medical system hadn't been, um, what they'd expected. Um, and so, you know, even now I've got from Buner's books to Dr. Rawls, Dr. Rawls books to medical mediums books. And it really took a second to dive in and understand what was going on in my body. That doesn't mean that I don't have days where I'm like, what is this? But I, I took so much time and still do reading up in groups, understanding things, um, and really trying to work towards continually getting better on, um, my own, um, treatment plan, I guess you could say, um, so, and being able to do it naturally with herbs, um, is incredible. I've always been, you know, a person who's really into, um, nature and to be able to apply that to my own body to get better, um, as well as diet is everything to me.
So Tiara, talk to us about after reading Stephen Buhner's books and then following Dr. Rawls, whose herbal protocol is based off of, is based off of the Buhner protocol, and then also following the medical medium, what protocol did you build for yourself to start treating your Lyme disease? Yeah, so I first started using the Buhner protocol um, because that's what I had seen had worked for my ex-spouse. And I thought it would work for me, but I was still having a lot of twitching. Um, it just wasn't getting me where I wanted to be. But I knew with those herbs, the Japanese knotweed, the cat's claw, the andrographis, I knew, um, sarsaparilla, um, I knew that those were going to help me. So it may have just been whether it's different dosages or other things that my body needed. So I switched over to Dr. Rawls, but I took a little bit of Buner's plan as well. So I'm on vital, um, Dr. Rawls' Vital Restore Kit. Um, I'm taking the four bottles. Um, and then I'm also on um, two tinctures. Sometimes I'll add another, but I'm on um, Japanese knotweed just because it's just extremely powerful um, and antimicrobial. And then I'm also taking... Um, Cyta Acuda um, for biofilm. I'm also, um, every day I'm drinking um, cystis and canis tea for biofilm as well. Um, and, you know, also just finding that balance with diet. So I was already eating a vegan diet, um, but now it's more so in a, a raw kind of more um, fruit and, and veggie based um, diet to not allow my body to be a home um, for these little bugs. <laughs> so a conjunction of many things. Okay, so Tara, I'm gonna I want to kind of recap some of the things you just you just discussed with us. So you're now taking Dr. Rolls's Restore Kit, and you're in good company because literally I take that the four bottles twice a day. Rich is on it on half dose because Rich, thank God, is not sick from tick-borne illness. But he's taking it just for his general health, and um, we're both okay. having some great benefits from it. But you know, one of the things we've learned from Dr. Rolls is sometimes you need to take a little bit more of something, and everybody's a little bit different, so you have to kind of you may have to tweak it. So I know there's Japanese knotweed in the restore kit, but it sounds like you're supplementing even more Japanese knotweed to really have that antimicrobial property beyond what's in the restore kit. Is that what you're doing? Correct. Yep. I'm taking droppers uh, or a, do a dropper in the morning and a dropper at night, uh, both Cuda and Japanese knotweed. I will tell you since, and I really had to find what worked for me. So, you know, with the protocol, I wasn't getting as much of that relief as I wanted. I was still getting... I was getting crazy foot aches and pains. I was still getting the, the twitching everywhere and it was driving me insane. Um, so I started taking the, the Dr. Rawls. I added the Japanese knotweed. At one point I, I had started taking a little bit of, um, gosh, what is it called? Um, cryptolepsis. Cryptolepsis. Um, as well as some euthero root from my nervous system. Um, and I still take it from time to time, but my main, um, you know, the main attraction, so to speak, uh, Japanese knotweed and Saida Kuda, they've done wonders for me. And I will tell you when I'm on them, I maybe have one or one to three twitches a day. Other than that, I feel so normal. I still have spotty vision, um, which, you know, that'll be over time. But I, I was just telling um, someone about how previously uh, when things started to get bad, I would smile and, it, and I'm a smiley person. I love smiling. I would smile and my face would shake like crazy um, or I would yawn and I couldn't even keep my face straight. And now I can do all of those things and I'm, it's not shaking anymore and I'm not insecure about it. I'm not, cause I used to be terrified of my own body at that point, just with everything going on. So the, the side Kuda, the Japanese knotweed and then uh, vital restore plan um, have done wonders for me. And I've recommended the vital restore plan to a lot of people because it's honestly changed, changed my life. 
So I just want to I just want to stop for a second and recognize that. So I know a lot of us, a lot of people have heard us talk about Dr. Rawls and, and now they're hearing about the Restore Kit. And I think it's important to note because of regu certain regulations, Dr. Rawls is not able to really promote his specific products. He's only able to really talk in generalities about herbs on his webinars through his main Rolls MD social media and, and website. But Dr. Rawls, based on what he teaches through his Rolls MD side, has a, an entire supplement, basically branch or arm to his business, which is called Vital Plan. And Vital Plan sells the Restore Kit, which is literally everything Dr. Rawls talks about to treat chronic Lyme disease. And although it can't be properly marketed as a chronic Lyme disease treatment, which it is, but he's not allowed to say because of FDA regulations, it has helped countless people recover from chronic Lyme disease. And it has a wide variety of herbs and supplements and things in it to help you overcome Lyme by building your immune system and fighting off a wide variety of pathogens, not just the Lyme bacteria. Because as you know, Tiara, it's never just Lyme. There's other things going on, whether it's reactivated Epstein-Barr virus, whether it's parasites, whether it's whatever it may be, the Restore Kit helps address all of those pathogenetic, uh, all of those pathogens, and it really helps modulate, reset, and rebuild your immune system, which gives your body a fighting chance to now recover and rebound from chronic illness. So I just wanted to make sure that we pointed that out so people understand what, what specific products we take by Dr. Rawls. And and to complement that, you did mention that you tried cryptolepis, which is, I know, something that is really powerful. And all these, these studies coming out of Johns Hopkins have shown that cryptolepis is not only great for Lyme disease and Bartonella and Babesia and Anaplasma, but it's just generally good from an antimicrobial standpoint, generally speaking. Um, it sounds like in your experience, that wasn't something that was, was super helpful in your journey. So could you talk to us about cryptolepis with your personal experience and, and what your reaction was to it? So I'll just say, I think I'm very fortunate in a sense that I caught things at a, a time where my Herx reactions are not as bad. Um, so, you know, um, as far as my reaction to crypto, I would say like, I haven't felt a lot, but I also previously before that was doing, you know, Japanese knotweed, Cyta, uh, Kuda, which are, Cyta is especially pretty strong. So, you know, when I started with Japanese knotweed, for example, I was I'm getting like numbness in my feet. Um, and you know, when I do certain things like, you know, even my infrared sauna, um, I have increased symptoms for maybe two days. So luckily with crypto, for whatever reason, I didn't feel, um, much kickback after taking it. Um, so I'm very, very fortunate in that sense. Um, I never know with me what's going to give me much of a herx. Um, like for some people, cystis and cannas tea gives them a crazy herx. I drink it every day and I'm okay. Um, so I really think it has everything to do with where I was able to catch things in my journey um, to where crypto, even though it is quite strong, it hasn't um, given me a crazy reaction, thankfully. All right. So Tara, we talked about the Restore Kit, which we know is a wide variety of, of urban supplements. We talked about Cryptolepis and we talked about Japanese knotweed to supplement what's already in the Restore Kit. But you keep mentioning, and I'm probably going to say it wrong, the Phyta Akuda, which is, I think you, I believe you said it's for biofilm. So is that another herb? Is it a, is it a capsule with herbal powder? Is it a tincture? What is it? And specifically, what does it do to treat Lyme disease? Yeah, so it's herbal tincture. And what it does is it assists in breaking up the similar to what NAC does. Um, so I, I, I picked that up from Buner's protocol. Um, and whenever I don't take it, I can tell. It makes a huge difference for me, especially with my twitches. Um, so I typically get that um, in an herbal, herbal tincture. I've heard of people getting it in powdered form and putting it in capsules. But for me personally, for convenience, I do it in an herbal tincture. 
And then you, you've also been talking about this cystis and I think you said cystis and canis tea. I'm probably butchering that as well. And I apologize. But what what function is that? So is that are those herbs that are diluted into a tea that have a, a positive impact on on killing off Lyme bacteria? That's correct. It is. Um, it's more so a biofilm buster as well. Um, so with, you know, with Vital Restore, um, the aim is to, you know, uh, kill off the Lyme, so to speak. Um, but with Cytocuda, as well as Cystis and Canis, it's to help break up that biofilm for those that are, I don't want to say free floating, but kind of once they, you know, die off. Um, and so I take that or I drink that every day. It's just in little, like a little pouch. I get a, a pouch of 200 off of the Amazon. Um, and it's just the herb in a pouch that you can make just like any kind of tea, like a green tea. Um, and I drink that every day with lemon and honey. And I think it's, it's definitely helped. I'm sorry, Tiara. So let's talk about, let's talk about herxing because we know when you take biofilm herbs, generally you will herx. Well, some people will herx from it. So when you take the, the phyta acuda and the cystis and, and, um, canis, again, I apologize for probably mispronouncing it. Are you the T? Are you herxing from that, or did you herx in the beginning from those two biofilm treatments? I, beginning, I started to get numbness, um, and I started to get for a little while. Like I was wondering, why am I switching so much more? I'm taking something for it, but um, over time, that started to dissipate. Um, I will also tell you that an integral part of of not having such bad um, reactions is I'm doing uh, at coffee enemas. Um, pretty regularly. At one point I was doing them every day. Um, they have done so much for me um, as far as detail goes. Um, I've also, I have an infrared sauna. I don't use that as much due to EMF, um, but um, I do use it. Um, and then of course, you know, your, your typical like Epsom salt bath. So detox I think is also going to play a large role as it relates to Herxheimer reactions. I think it's a really powerful tip that if people are listening and they're experiencing herxes or they're worried about taking something like a biofilm buster because of, of the herx, there are tools to either lessen or, or almost eliminate the herx by, by doing detox protocols like coffee enemas, detox baths, like, like Epsom salt baths, and even doing things like infrared saunas and having a plant-based diet, all those things will help you have less, less reactions to biofilm busters. It sounds like you're saying. Yeah. The way that I understood it, just in the reading that I've done, when someone, you know, has a Herxheimer reaction, it has to do with the fact that your body, um, you know, with whatever you're taking has killed off, you know, a certain amount of that Lyme. And so um, uh, your body can only, once it's killed off, can only process so much out at a time. And so those detox methods are to really assist the body um, in, 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 in releasing some of that, um, you know, with the coffee enemas being helping stimulate um, the liver um, right. And, you know, uh, things like exercise and sweating, right. That help with moving the lymphatic system, which essentially, you know, the sewer of the body. Right. Um, so just all those different things put together, um, really, really help. You know, we, we eliminate in many different ways through sweat, through waste, which I don't have to talk about that one. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, just making sure that we're really adequately hydrating because everything like even lemon water, you know, even lemon water is, is great. Um, and alkalizing the body and also getting things um, out of the body in terms of detox. So, um, it's a combination of methods, but I will say tried and true for me, um, is the coffee enemas. So let's talk more about the coffee enemas, because I don't know if you know, Kristen Nanos, who we love, she right now runs an awesome Lyme support group. So if you don't, if you don't know about it, people can go check her out at, uh, on Instagram and, and join her group that she's doing now twice a week, but she's always talking about coffee enemas in, in helping her with parasites and healing from Lyme disease. 
And I have to be honest, I still haven't tried it because it just seems so intimidating. Although Krista does make it, you know, really sound less intimidating. How can you convince people, TR, who are listening, that it's not as scary as it sounds and really it's worthwhile and, and the benefits far outweigh the potential scariness of doing a coffee enema? So I could understand why it would be scary. Um, you know, it's thing from what I've read, it's years and years ago that was actually very popular. Like I want to say in ancient Egypt times, it was very popular that people were doing um, enemas, even in general, that type of health. Um, I, I know that it can be intimidating. However, we really have to think about the benefits. And for me, you know, it's almost become meditative, not almost it has. Um, so, you know, we'll get the coffee boiled, get it all in the bags. Um, I've got hooks where I put, you know, um, my enema bag, right. And then, um, you know, turn on some, some guided meditation or some sound bowls and really just tape that as time while you're holding it. Cause you did 15 minutes, um, to just reflect or meditate. Um, and it's a really transformative time. I feel like now I'm not going to say that it's not a little, uh, you know, you get a little crampy every now and then just cause you, you've got liquid going through your system, but <laughs> I promise you when you do a couple of them, and this is probably gross, but when you see like, you know, you mentioned parasites, real thing, very real. Um, when you see what comes out, uh, cause you, you can't just treat line. You have to treat parasites too. So, um, we all have them. So when you see what comes out, you will be, I think a little addicted to seeing like, wow, like I was able to do that for myself and release those things. Um, but just, just think about what it could do for you in terms of rich body of parasites, um, stimulating your liver, um, and a bunch of other things. So Tara, there's no such thing as too much information here on the Tick Bootcamp podcast. And now you have Rich and I curious about what actually comes out of these coffee enemas. So if you're comfortable, no pressure, can you talk to us about some of the things you've seen come out of a coffee enema? Because you're right, it's not just Lyme disease. There are viruses, there are parasites, all kinds of stuff accumulates in your colon and, and all these things make you toxic and keep you sick. So what things have you seen come out of you that sort of inspire you to keep going because you realize, wow, that was in me and keeping me sick? Yeah. So you got to identify them first because sometimes they're kind of hard to identify and it's kind of gross, but you kind of got to look at you're like, what is in there? Um, it's gross, but um, I've seen, you know, liver flukes. I've seen little tiny, I don't know if it was a worm, but it kind of looked like, it, like little tiny ones. And you just don't realize, especially with, you know, parasites feed off of dairy, especially you don't realize, you know, how much sometimes we're nurturing and really having that symbiotic relationship with the parasites. So doing, you know, a coffee enema and seeing that stuff in there is like a wow moment of just realizing like, A, what you're doing for yourself, but B, oh my God, that's been in my body. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, just being able to do that for yourself, I think is pretty empowering. Um, and seeing what comes out, you're like, just get it all out of fasting. <laughs> so that's how I feel about it. I have to ask you, and this is probably something that I would want to do, but now that you basically have proven you have Lyme and co-infections and parasites, and you've been feeling better because of self-treating yourself, have you gone back to any of your doctors and said, I told you so, you know, you should learn from me and help your other patients, or did you just totally give up on your doctors and now just go on the self, you know, exploration and, and treatment and diagnosis journey? I, I have, I would love that satisfaction. <laughs> but I just decided this was the start of my own self-healing journey because it was honestly the catalyst, just so many things in my life changing for the better. So 
I want to go back and be like, Hey, I, I, you know, healed myself. What do you have to say for yourself? But, um, honestly, I, I, what I think is people aren't as educated on this. They're doing what they were taught. They don't know. Um, and so in their minds, they think that they're doing the right thing for you. Um, but in reality, it's really hindering your progress. Um, so I try to keep that frame of mind of like, you know what? They don't know what they don't know. I didn't know what I didn't know before. So I'm going to continue on with my journey and regard it as that. Cause that's the easiest thing for me to do is just think of it as like, you didn't know it's fine. I figured it out. <laughs> uh, and it's very gracious of you to be so kind towards your doctors but you know Richard and I look at it like you know and we were told by by various specialists like Dr. McDonald who we had on the podcast who's a brilliant brilliant doctor and we've had Dr. Shea who's a brilliant tick-borne illness neuropsychologist specialist that all psychological problems have a physical or physiological root cause and the thing is if your doctors are telling you Tiara you're stressed and all of your physical symptoms are because of something mental health related they should have dug deeper in our opinion. And I understand that maybe they don't, under, they don't understand how deep it is now that the three of us know, but I think it just does such harm to people in the community when they say you're just stressed, it's just anxiety. Well, what is causing that? Especially when you didn't have it before. Let's dig deeper as a team to figure out what's going on and help me get better and not mask my problems. And that's really, really dangerous for, the, for everybody. So I understand you're being very kind, but I think I have a much, a much stronger position for those doctors to say, they need to catch up. They need to understand what the truth is, and they need to be able to help people because this is an, this is uh, you know a pandemic Lyme disease and, and tick-borne illness, and it's just getting worse. And people are going misdiagnosed for decades and suffering unnecessarily because they don't know what's going on. And I think, thankfully, because you were so smart, Tiara, and because you were so driven to feel better, you self-diagnosed yourself in a short period of time, and then you wouldn't even get treated by doctors. You had to self-treat yourself as well. So I just think that that you're, and I'm not to belittle your experience, but you're one of the lucky ones compared to people who suffer for decades. And I think the knowledge you're sharing and the shortcuts you're sharing are going to help people listening, but doctors have to do better, in my opinion. I do have my moments where I say, oh my gosh, I can't, that so many people are suffering and have been suffering for so long. And they have this feeling of hopelessness. And the fact that so many people with 10 years, 20 years, had no idea giving this bacteria um, the ability to continue to advance and progress in their bodies. It's astonishing. So I, you're right. I was being too nice. It's infuriating. If I would have listened to gaslighting from doctors, if I would have listened to gaslighting from my family, I can guarantee you I would not be in the health that I'm in today. And so, yeah, I, I am frustrated with doctors. Um, because you trust them, you put your trust in them, you put your dollars in them. Right. And if they, well, quite frankly, fail you, um, because you know, you're relying on them to say, Hey, this is wrong. Let's fix this. So you can be better. And that's not even being recognized, um, for years on end. It's like, what do you do? Who do you, who do you tell to remedy this? Because there's so many years of your life lost. And that's why I'm so thankful for the way that I went through things because, I couldn't end up the exact same way, having the the lack of knowledge um, previously and, and ending up sick possibly, and then going through the system like everybody else. So I'm, I'm extremely thankful and disheartened and so glad that the organizations like, you know, your podcast exists because um, it is so easy. It would be so easy for someone to get Lyme so much easier than I ever knew. And even easier to be, kind of sort of um, led astray 
and abandoned by the medical industry. So. So my final question, Tiara, before I hand you back over to Rich is you are very smart. You've learned a lot in a short period of time and you've done so much to help yourself all by yourself. So most people who listen to this podcast are either those suffering from chronic Lyme and trying to get through it or supporters of people that are suffering from chronic Lyme. So what advice would you give people listening to this podcast to give them hope that they can and will get better? Because many people have just given up, frankly. Yeah. um, So every single day um, you are going toward healing and it may be tiny or um, micro steps, but every day you're going toward healing. I remember in the beginning thinking like, oh my gosh, like how is with the, with the wave of some of my tremors and whatever else we're going, I was like, this is a huge issue in my body. How is this going to get better? Cause I'd love to be better tomorrow. And that's not how it works. So number one, I just want them to know it's okay to feel how you feel. Um, because like I said, you know, when I spoke earlier, I went through that process of feeling sad and hopeless and feeling like, I don't know how things are going to get better, how long it's going to take. Um, but time, time is your best friend. Um, and also trusting yourself and your intuition, um, is your absolute best friend, um, because it will never steer you wrong. So Terry, we talked a little bit about the grief cycle earlier, and you actually went through all of the different phases very, in, in a very powerful way, but we see one of two things happening when people get in the grief cycle, they either stay in the cycle and they cycle down, or they get to the end of the cycle where they accept the reality of their situation, and they then they then create something new. So talk to us about how you've created something new, how you are now a new creation, and what you learned about your superpowers that you're now helping other people in the community. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> I have come across some people um, who are going through the thick of it um, and who have tried some other therapies and even though I'm not a doctor, I don't have the answers. I can tell them what works for me and what works for me doesn't necessarily work for everybody else, but I can certainly try. I can ask them, have you thought about this? What about this? Um, are you self-treating? Do you have a doctor? Have you considered this? Um, and I really just try to be sometimes for that people, for people, I just try to be the person that they vent to, because I think that's what everybody wants. Like when you go through this, <laughs> nobody understands you. Um, Nobody gets what you're going through. So I try to be that person who listens. Even to a stranger, I lit- I don't know at all. Um, but I also try to ask those questions to try and, because those are the questions I had to ask myself um, to kind of jog and figure out what I could do to change the trajectory of things. So um, I really do try to be that listener and that sounding board, but I also try to be that person that kind of empowers them to feel like they can also uh do some things to uh, positively contribute to their health and not just have it in the hands of somebody else. Well, let's also talk about your willingness to become a leader because you've become a leader in this community. You've participated in our Lyme hackathon. You are now serving as one of our guests on uh, the long form podcast. And you're willing to do that on a subject that's really touchy and very controversial. And that is the sexual transmission of Lyme. So talk to us about why you're willing to be brave and be the face of this very controversial topic in part because of the puritanical nature of our society and in part because of the, the invalidating nature of Lyme very generally in the sexual transmission of Lyme. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm going to be honest and say that there were some times where I thought maybe I shouldn't do this um, because I was nervous. It's not exactly um, something everyone wants to stand up and say, yep, this happened to me. This is what, but I realized people need someone to say this happened to me. And if it happened to you, it's okay. And it doesn't mean that because, because it's not as widely researched that it's not real. Um, people need that. And I, I hope to be that beacon of hope for them, no matter how awkward it may be. I hope to be that beacon of hope for them. Um, and I hope that they trust themselves and they don't, A, they don't put off treatment, right? Because the earlier you catch things, the better, I swear. Um, and just trust yourself because everyone else around you will be too busy, unfortunately, gaslighting you. Um, you are your only source of validation sometimes, and that's okay. Um, so I hope that I can instill that in other people. And if I'm still, like I said, I'm, I'm, you know, if anybody needs to vent or talk about it, I'm here because I get it. I, <laughs> it's been a wild ride, but I, I want to be the person that people can talk to because this is a really strange, awkward, but very relevant and very common topic. So Tiara, you're our 212th guest, and I've asked every guest before you the same question that I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to ask you a different question. And the question I'm going to okay. ask you is, if you're in an intimate relationship with somebody who has Lyme disease, what steps would you take to protect yourself from having to deal with the suffering that unfortunately you would have to deal with if you contract Lyme disease through your intimate contact with your partner? So I would just have to say, just protect yourself. Now that you're equipped with the knowledge of knowing um, that that's uh, possible, um, just protect yourself um, physically and just know, you know, that that's a possibility and potentially even proactively treat um, like with herbs. Um, there's can't hurt you. Um, that's my personal opinion. Um, but you know, just preventative herbs like astrologus, or I guess other people pronounce it differently, but astrologus, um, and, and just focus on keeping your immune system healthy, right? Low stress, good sleep, um, good diet, some exercise. Um, and that's it. Just, just protect yourself. Um, and continue to love the person that you love. Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with our guest, Tiara Smith. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Tiara Smith, please visit our Instagram page at naturally.me.t. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you, as always, for listening.